Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. Welcome to the Nest of Vipers podcast, cultural chit-chat for know-it-alls, ne'er-do-wells, and nattering nabobs everywhere. I'm your host, Danny Plotnick. And each week on the show, we have an esteemed panel of blabbermouths riffing on cultural topics of the utmost importance. And today, we're going to talk about life on the road as a touring artist. So let me get down to it and introduce our grizzled road veterans. And I'm looking at a very grizzly Tony B, drummer of the legendary Icky Boyfriends, the Resin Eaters. And I would say for this conversation, most importantly, Tony B coined the term rockation. That's true. Um, For those of you who can't stomach the rigors of the road rockation is definitely (laughs) your best bet for getting out there and playing ridiculous places without actually having to invest the time and money of getting in a van you just fly to a a spot you want to go hang out and you play one show and then you come home fantastic all right we'll get into that a little more (laughs) all right gil ray i'm looking at gil ray drummer of game theory and the loud family and actually has a solo record out now called i am atomic man thank you and I will fess up that I road managed the Loud family on one tour and hanging out with Gil was great. We were like the bad children in the back of the van. <laughs> there were a lot of people being really serious in the front of the van. And I feel like Gil and I were like telling bad jokes and farting. Though we weren't farting, I kind of feel like that was our role. Well, I'm glad you brought up farting because most of my stories involve that. Fantastic. Outstanding. And finally, we have Chuck Prophet, guitarist of the also legendary Green on Red. Uh, Chuck's had an illustrious solo career and right now writing a book about life on the road called... Uh, It's called uh, Should Have Stayed in School, uh, Dispatches from the Rock and Roll Trenches. And uh, I'm not actually writing the book. I'm one of the contributors, but I will be sort of editing it, weeding out some of the uh, more tired, broken van stories, but hopefully not, you know. Chuck, it's crazy to think that I actually saw you play a show. I didn't even realize this was in 1983 at the Rat in Boston. Uh, I don't know if I was at that gig. That might have been just prior to me, but they talk about it All because right. uh, they didn't have enough material. And I think that I think uh, the uh, proprietor came back. He had a didn't he? Wasn't he famous for having a uh, tracheotomy? One of those voice boxes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys better play some more goddamn music, or you're not going to get paid. And they driven they deadheaded from L.A. to Boston. Like that was their first right. gig. So you, you, you were there. Uh, I heard a lot about that. You know, just the art of, the act of when you hear somebody's life story in the dark in a van for years and how they will mutate and morph into other stories, that that's, could be a topic that we could throw around, that w- what we call just van therapy. Uh. Yeah, and you don't interrupt somebody to say you've already heard it. You know, you just you know what I mean. That old story you, you again. Just, you just let them Shut talk up already. <laughs> but it gets better every year. Who knows? I may be saying all lies tonight. I just don't remember. Well, I guess to start things off, why don't we start, Gilray? Okay, T- tell some lies about your life. Um, we'll start out gently. Um, how about show opening? nightmares. In 1985, I just joined Game Theory. I went on my first national tour and two other members. It was their first tour. And we had this big show in New York at the Danceteria. And it was a cool club. I think it was like three stories, something going on on every floor. I remember that gig. You, you were there? <laughs> it was. Oh, I, I remember that venue. Yeah. It was a cool place. And we were just excited as heck to be in New York. I'd never been there before. And 
And you're from the South. So That's that was right. Big time. Right. It was hard to um, squash my Robert E. Lee bringing ups, bringings ups there. Yankees, surrounded by Yankees, but excited nonetheless. They think they're better than you, by the way. Well, you know, they, they probably are, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we were setting up to go on, and on that stage, they had a big video screen that would come down, and it'd show rock videos on, and we'd be behind that screen setting up. The place was pretty packed, i got to say, and I was really excited. All right, New York, here we go, our first New York show. And they announced us. And now from, they said Sacramento, Game Theory, and the crowd kind of went nuts. So the screen starts to rise, and it had been caught on Shelly's keyboard stand. (laughs) (laughs) And as the screen's going up, the keyboard stand starts going up with it. And we're shocked. Scott runs over there. He's got one I, hand. I just had this vision of everybody, gra- like Shelly, grabbing onto the keyboard. Oh, it you was. grabbing onto her leg and all of you sort of being hoisted up to the you third know, floor above Dan's Ateria. It sort of, that did have, I stayed behind the drum kit, though, but I started You weren't laughing. willing to lend a hand? No. But <laughs> They're on their own. Scott tried. He had one hand on his guitar neck, the other hand on the keyboard stand, and it just kept going higher and higher. And finally, the keyboard ultimately... Fell over on Shelly's chest, and it played this amazingly awful kind of <laughs> jazz chord. <laughs> and uh, Susie, the bass player, looked at me, and we started laughing. And it was just the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And I, I just could not, I couldn't stop laughing through the whole set. I mean, obviously, we got things worked out and started our set, but it was quite an opening, and um, it did break the tension. So we played a pretty good set there, though, but uh, quite an impact. Hello, game theory. There goes the keyboard. <laughs> Very nice. Thank I you. remember that. I remember the dance interior. I remember we used to stay at the uh, Iroquois Hotel, which was kind of famous. But we would, you know, if we had a gig that night and we had a gig the following night, maybe in Boston or something, we would always check out at noon. So we would have from noon till maybe five, six, seven in the morning to kill. Because cool. dance interior, you would typically go on at like, Three or something. Oh yeah, it was just in, you know, it was just too cool for school. In New York, headlining time slots. But there were about five different rooms, and if you tried to take a nap in the backstage area, I remember like lying down in my sleeping bag. I remember like lying there in the dark with my eyes closed, being able to hear like four different. Yeah. Songs at the same time. That's a beautiful loud. sound. You know, rather loud. The original um, mashup. Yeah. <laughs> the, now, but Gil, you, you were in a disco band at some point. Weren't you going to come out with some great disco band story? Uh, yeah, I was in two disco bands. And actually. I have to say, Gil, if you start hanging out with Gil, he seems like he must be 90 because he's got <laughs> stories. <laughs> he's got stories as a psychedelic rocker in the 60s, as a disco, disco cover bands in the 70s. And you're like, how old is this guy? I'm not. Uh, you don't have to answer that yeah, question. He's a, the Dorian Gray. Uh, well, yeah, I'm 85. <laughs> yeah, I played in two disco bands in the mid 70s, and it was actually the only time I ever made a living playing music. <laughs> and I was. We were on salary. We got paid whether we played or not. We would play. You wait. You got paid whether you played or not. Yeah. We would mostly play. So weren't you trying not to play? I, I've but, never heard of, no. pay, of pay to not play. It was insane. <laughs> I wanted um, to pay some people not to play. But, but Yeah, I was 21. This was in the mid-70s. I was like getting $300 a week. And where that where was, were you? I was in North Carolina. But the chick singer and the 
band leader, they were keeping the rest of the money. And, you know, we'd get a couple thousand dollars a week playing holiday in lounges and stuff for weeks at a time. One night, we were playing at this major hotel chain in Columbia, South Carolina. And we were booked there for, I think... Are you, are you contractually obligated not to tell us which major hotel chain? Was well, it like La Quinta Inn? There were some letters from lawyers at the end of this story. but um, And we were there for like two weeks. And we would play five sets a night. and um, All covers? All covers. Disco music is a lot pretty better good. than you it's remember pretty good it. good songs. Oh, there's, there's chords going on. There's harmonies. It's, it's pretty neat stuff. There's chords and things? I mean, real good chords, you know? <laughs> like, um, not your typical rock things. You had to kind of know music. But, but me being a drummer. A drummer <laughs> it was the easiest job in the world. And I was getting paid. And I actually quit school to do that. And my mom was upset. But then I started bringing home paychecks. And she would actually come see us when we would play in Charlotte. The J.D. Lounge. But anyway, we were playing this hotel in Columbia, South Carolina, and between every set, we'd go back to our hotel rooms, and we would smoke marijuana. This would help us get through the night, and um, I was sharing a room with a keyboard player. We went back there. We sat on his bed. We were smoking a pipe. It had This was back before good pot. It all had seeds in it and stuff. We got high. We went back and played the final set, and then we're walking back through the parking lot, and we started hearing all these sirens and um oh wow something's going on then we keep walking and i start seeing smoke coming up from our end of the building (laughs) and i start running at that point and i run around the corner and there's about five fire trucks there and police and this fireman is getting ready to axe down our door my door (laughs) and i'm going oh my goodness and i didn't know what else to do except here, I got a key. <laughs> and he said, is anybody in there? Is anybody? And they were evacuating the whole floor and stuff. And I'm like, no, no one's in there. Oh, my God, what happened? Plus, you know, this is going on, and I'm high, which made it even kind of worse. They, they go in, and the room is just filled with smoke. Smoke is just billowing out the door. And I'm like, oh, my God, what happened here? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? The hotel manager comes running up, and he's all kind of apologetic, like, oh, gosh, I don't know what happened, but I'm so sorry. We don't have any more rooms to put you up in for tonight. You have to share rooms with your other bandmates. And I'm like, God, he's apologizing to me. <laughs> and so they asked What happened was a seed had popped into the middle of the keyboardist's open suitcase. And it burned a hole, an oval shape, all the way through the bed. Through the suitcase, through, through the, the bed, suitcase, through the floor. The TV yeah, was melted. Super seed. <laughs> it's almost gotten wait, through wait, the wait, firewall. Wait, the TV was melted? Yeah, there were like no the real TV flames. like a story you should tell your children. It was... Uh, One pot seed. <laughs> drugs aren't well, for anyone. <laughs> drugs are bad, I'm it's telling you. It's the gateway you. fire starter. <laughs> oh, God. And, oh, it was just so embarrassing and nerve-wracking. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? And the, a fireman comes walking out. He had this long pole, and he had the frame of the guy's suitcase on the end of it. <laughs> it was just a... It's like a giant fry bucket. Exactly. And he's bringing it out, and I look, and I see the hole in the bed, and um, nothing was really burned up, but it was heavily smoke damaged, and, you know, the bed had a big hole in it. And um, How big was the seed? I don't know, <laughs> but thank God for sense of million pot. Doesn't have to be big. <laughs> Get those molecules rub up each against each other. The just son of a right firefighter. Or it what was have to be in big. his suitcase? A lot of polyester. I mean, you know, we were a disco band. 
And uh, well, there you go. There, there's the moral of the story. The worst. This isn't an anti-drug it's, it's tale. A, it's a disco inferno story. <laughs> well, and so then people are starting to ask us what happened to the, you know what started this fire, and um, it, the story came really easily to me. I I said, well, you know, this afternoon I put a quarter in the vibrating bed. <laughs> And it just kind of made a noise and didn't do anything. And I think, God, I'm a genius. <laughs> and the story held for months. And um, the worst loss I got was the disco band, we wore black jumpsuits. And we had alternating shirts, one kind of wild paisley polyester shirt, and one for a more upscale dinner set kind of thing. Kind of a mustard. Blue satin with the frilly, very Seinfeldy kind of shirt. And... Uh, it was hanging on the rack inside the room. The, the clothes weren't ruined, but they were very heavily smoke damaged. But I said, well, God, what am I going to do? I need that shirt tomorrow night kind of thing. And uh, We're going upscale tomorrow night. So I took it to the dry cleaners, and then I get it back, and it seemed fine. But then the next gig, when I started sweating in it, it was just the smoke came right back out, and it was just awful. And then the next night we played, and we were the talk of the bar helps. They just thought it was just, oh, you guys burned down a room. And we're like, oh, yeah, boy, that's awful, isn't it? And uh, nothing happened until two years later. Um, I started getting these registered did, did letters. Did the hotel try to start suing the um, vibrating bed company? Oh, maybe. I, they must have and lost that case because then they started coming after me. And I was getting these registered mail letters. So I started getting these letters, and they were wanting money. And I called my brother, and uh, he's like, oh, just ignore those. Don't, just, just throw them away. Was he a draft dodger? Well, no, he was actually a, he was in med school. And uh, so I threw them away. Medical industry, they don't know anything about lawsuits. <laughs> but then the more intense letters <laughs> practice, started just coming. Ignore it. And then my brother-in-law is actually a lawyer, so I called him. And he said, oh, gosh, well, you shouldn't what, have thrown they, away those What were letters. they coming after you for? They were wanting money for the room. And oddly enough, it was I think it was around $3,000. You'd think it had been more, but this was like 1975, I guess. That's what, like a million dollars now. But, um <laughs> Somehow he got my mother's, who had just passed away, homeowner's insurance to cover it for me. So I never did really get sued and I got a good but story. But you caved in. Well, yeah, you can't fight the Marriott. You know, they're going to get you. They're going to get you eventually. Yeah, well, I never they did really it. admit guilt. He just sent them the money and that was the end of it. Well, you know, there's other ways. That's a, that's a, that's a inspiring story. There's other ways to start, <laughs> there's other ways to start fires um, uh, without exploding atomic pot seeds <laughs> you can start a fire with um, just simply by the act of putting a t-shirt over a lamp and that can start a fire I've, I've done that and everybody had to leave the hotel at four in the morning everybody uh, yeah they're loving you at that point yeah in london so everybody was standing out on the street people in their underwear you know disoriented at four in the morning did you fess up or did you come up with some cocktail? Wasn't one of those. Story? It wasn't one of those <laughs> things. It was bed. just sort of like we 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 set out to fire. You know, we were watching back. The VCRs had just come out, <laughs> so you know, like any self-respecting rock band, we were watching Apocalypse Now for like the thousandth time. It was you the know, only. It was the only uh, cassette in release. Yeah, exactly. Are the assassin? It Baby. was on the bus, you know, and and uh, and I had put uh, like I always do. I put some T-shirts over the lamps or something like that, and it just started a fire. To Set a mood. Mood. You could have just turned off. the lamp off. 
No, but I, I you know, you, you got to set that mood. You, know, yeah. you got to get the lighting right. Those are, you know, good times, good times. Were they, but, uh, did they get mad at you? No, it was it was really kind of uneventful. I mean, they, they came in with an they came in with axes and stuff. They were ready, and they were like, "Oh, this is what happened." And I think they're just excited. Is the, is to the, use axe, the axes the first line of defense? It must no, be, and they're very excited about that. They're very excited when they get that axe in the hand. He was, but I remember one go. straggling fireman was kind of like watching them. The, what you know? He was, a VCR. Yeah, he was. Oh, he kind of had his attention. He was my favorite part of the movie with his head kind of tilted, and then all right, we got to get out of here. Okay, sorry. And they all hustled out, but that was uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Have you set fire to anything in your travels? Uh, I actually, uh, in, in my rock band touring life, I've successfully managed to avoid fire, but we have had trips to the emergency room, vehicle accidents, near, near death, you know, things like that, but no, no hotel fires. Is the near death story funny? <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of gets weirdly funny. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> we were traveling. This is when uh, it was a Nikki boyfriend's road story, and we were uh, we we're outside of Portland. We we're actually driving from uh, driving south on the I five, just outside of Portland, and we were towing a uh, we were in a Jetta towing a U haul, <laughs> a classic tour vehicle, a Jetta, <laughs> a Jetta with a U haul. Do you guys got an Econoline? No, I've, I got a really good bargain for you on a Jetta. You know he great. drove that Jetta with a U-Haul van. <laughs> but it's got a it's great gas mileage, right? The U-Haul must kind of bring it down a bit, though. Yeah, plus, well, you know, you can't go over 55, so you're getting really good, really good mileage. and uh, <laughs> Just extending the length of the, the tour. I don't know about the pot seeds. You know, I, I think actually maybe I'll share the criminal activity stories for another episode. <laughs> don't worry. Nobody's going to be listening to this. <laughs> Who's listening? No, no one with is a, a satellite radio. What, what, what format is this? I think we had actually, you know, there had been pot stashed at a bus station, uh, a Greyhound bus station. What are you, a bunch of hobos? I'm going to leave the pot stashed <laughs> at, the in, at, the, at the Greyhound station in Bellingham. And we crossed Walker, over into Canada. And, and it was Ocean no, I understand. This is a border store. You, and the I mean, spot was marked with a twig, with a special kind of twig configuration. And then when we came back from Canada, we went back to the bus station and the twigs were there. And like we dug up the stash and, and we continued on our way. So now we're, we're on our way to Portland. And you know, we're just kind of driving along, and maybe a couple of people are dozing in the back. There's four of us, and our, our friend Katie was in was in the car, and actually she was behind the wheel. Like we were like all just, it had been a pretty exhausting trip, and we were actually with another. You know, there was another band with us that actually did have a van, and um, Katie was driving, and then all of a sudden, you basically uh, out of the blue, no warning whatsoever. One of the we one of the tires on the U-Haul trailer blew and we went into a 180 degree spin out at 65 miles an hour on the I-5 at a wait, part wait, of... Wait, I thought you couldn't go faster than 55. Well, yeah. Get the story straight. 55, buddy. 55, sorry. Well, the weight of the U-Haul started spinning it around. <laughs> the centrifugal force added 10 miles. And, um, you know, we went into a 180 degree spin out in a part of the I-5 where there was no, you know, obviously there's like no center divider or anything like that. And we, we went into this, this spin so that we wound up going off the right-hand shoulder of the highway and coming to a stop in the U-Haul. The, the trailer hitch torqued, and the U-Haul was laying on its side. And, uh, and we, you know, we came to a dead stop you know, facing oncoming traffic on the shoulder. So we're just sitting there like, you know. So that happened. Having, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just like, is everybody well, all right? We're all just sitting there, oh, my God, you know. And we very easily could have, you know, we're taking a look, and it was the U-Haul tire, 
you know, the U-Haul trailer tire that had blown. And we're thinking, wow, you know, if it had been the other one and we had gone the other direction, just a matter of physics, you know, not only would we be dead, we would have taken out like a whole, you know, four lanes of of oncoming (laughs) four (laughs) lanes of oncoming traffic on the I five. So everybody's kind of that would have been very uncool, (laughs) not very funny. I would (laughs) well at the time, (laughs) and um, so we're we're just sitting there, you know, come like wow, you know, we're we're alive. And uh, I'm alive. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't exactly break into song at that point, but so we're, we're sitting there trying to figure out. You know, we're, we're just basically standing there, you know, for a while, like outside of the car, taking a look. And finally, I guess somebody had called the highway patrol, and the highway patrol came up, and the uh, you know there was no other cars involved. We were all you know we were all right, so there was real you know not too much for them to do, but they were still kind of asking questions and taking a look at us. And they took a look at uh, the singer of our band. This is the singer of the Icky Boyfriends, John Swift. And John had this giant afro and Coke bottle glasses and just kind of was, you know, kind of like an odd, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know, just sort of a someone who a lot of people, when they they first meet him or take a look at him, were someone who would get the once over twice by law enforcement officials. Exactly. And they took a look at John and then the highway patrolman, like, Called him in, you know, basically made John get in the backseat of of the uh, the highway patrol car and was interrogating him, like accusing John of snorting liquid paper. <laughs> like all of a sudden, it's like if you can't find pot in the van, accuse someone of he, snorting he had, liquid paper. He had seen, he, he saw this, like I guess there was this thing of liquid paper in the in the backseat of the Jetta, and he and he was accusing oh, John of of having snorted liquid paper. And he was really on him. Like he was on him apparently for like fifteen, twenty minutes of just like trying to get him to admit that he had been inhaling liquid paper, and and it was like this whole absurd situation. Is that something people do? Did I? Because uh, I mean, out of out of any, there are times probably when I would have tried it. Uh, you know, out of out of any out of any drug he could have actually chosen to accuse our band of having indulged in. Well, well, John, have you been, have you been John, spraying that nonstick Pam stuff into, uh, a, into a sock and, and inhaling it again, sir? John's been, John's a literary type. I could, you know, is he a huffer? <laughs> did, did he have white all over his lips? <laughs> liquid. Paper. We, just, we just couldn't figure out what like the whole liquid. Pa- it was. It was. Uh, I'm have to try that. It was absolutely. Do they, do they still make liquid paper? Is there a need for it today? Oh, uh, well, I got a fun fact. You know, that was invented by Michael, Michael. Nesmith's mother. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm not telling a little rock and roll tie in right there. Maybe, maybe, you maybe know. that's it. The that's movie head. The monkeys all... ruined my life. Seen in a liquid paper haze. It's interesting because but, uh, 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 there is that thing. I think in, in my life, I've probably been in three or four auto accidents, and I think they were all based around playing music, getting to a gig, coming from a gig. Whatever, or being with. I thought you were going to say they all involved huffing liquid. They all <laughs> I, I remember one time we were playing in Providence, Rhode Island, and throughout the day we had heard this thing about Hurricane Gloria, Hurricane Gloria, and so we were playing our gig, and it was a pretty sparsely attended gig. And, and when I could, being from the West, hurricanes. Yeah, what, what know, does hurricane that mean? Gloria didn't really register with us that it was really anything other than you know just the weather and uh in a, ge- in a general way you know and yes. so we we had our gig to play and we had our we had our uh, crates of beer to collect after the gig and we played a gig in providence rhode island and Wait, were you collecting them to get the deposit money it's just what we did you know we, <laughs> we we took the rider very seriously two cases of beer so i remember looking out the window and i remember seeing like the national guard 
with sandbags, you know, around that club as we were playing. And you're thinking, we're not going to incite riot. Yeah, we're not going anywhere here. What's going on? So uh, we, we did finish the gig, and we said, well, we, we want two cases of beer to go, and we'll pay for it, this, that, and the other. And we got in our van. Well, of course, we played Gloria that night ad, <laughs> ad nauseum. And, um, you mean that and must Gloria, have been dear to you to the locals. We drove, we drove out of there. No, yeah, okay. <laughs> Wait, that would be Gil's band. <laughs> Gloria Gaynor. We drove out of there, and uh, uh, we uh, uh, somebody was driving, and obviously, and we hit a clover leaf that was a lot tighter than we had imagined, and we went off the road and basically crashed, you know, accordion the van. And uh, what I remember, you know, is if you've ever been in a van accident, see all the gears in the back, mm. and when, when you come to a stop, the gear keeps moving. Yeah. I mean, van must remain, number one rule, van must remain upright at all times. <laughs> but the gear keeps going. So basically, you, there's this accordion effect inside the van. Everything's mm. crushed. The seats come out. And what happened was those two cases of beer had been packed in such a way that the SVT amp had exploded them. And we were all covered in this, <laughs> like, foam. In foam. <laughs> So wow. so the highway patrolman came and he and he, came, he sort of we, we were all we it were all smells spr- like a brewery we were all spread out around the van and, uh, oh. and he said well you guys can get in the car I'll give give a couple of you guys a ride back and we got in the back of the highway patrol car covered in foam and you'd never smelled anything like this and the, and he turned around to me and he says you guys haven't been drinking have you and we're like no sir <laughs> okay just checking all right then it always scared me to death Wait, that, that's it. Well, we ended up going to, going to a Holiday Inn that night. I remember, like the hurricane was so intense that you couldn't open or close doors, and and it was, uh, you know, it was really, really quite an quite an experience. But really, I was hoping the just the first of many hurricanes that I experienced down the road. You know, how about any, any hospital stories? Any uh, accident, emergency room? Visits I do have an tour? emergency room one, and it was actually in Vienna. Fantastic, um, but uh, hmm. it's a pretty long, involved story. That, uh, let's talk about borders. Who was? Did somebody mention stashing pot? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, going yeah. To, I was recently just last year. Just last year, I was going into Toronto to play uh, a gig, and it was uh, just me. It was a solo show, and it was just me in a rented car, my backpack, acoustic guitar, two or three, sh- nothing, you know. And uh, I got into a little, I got a little static. You know when you're getting into the static at the Canadian border because, you know, you wait to get signed off at one window and they send you to another window and then that window sends you to another window and you see that everybody else has safely gotten back in their car and drove off after the first window. So I think I'd been tagged somewhere along the line and that was another story probably that, uh, that we'd been tagged another time. So my name came up in the computer or whatever and... Uh, and I ended up with these, uh, you know, they're young now. That's the thing. Is as, as, we get, as we get older, people in authority, they stay the same age. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm looking at this kid dressed like a Mountie. And I'm thinking, like, does, this he even, does he even have hair on his balls? I'm looking at this guy like, are, you know, and he, and he, okay, sir, sir, step away from the vehicle, sir. And sir, had, step they, away they, from the vehicle. I, I wasn't even that, I wasn't even particularly, you know, uptight about it because I was by myself and it was a rental car and there really wasn't anything in there. They could take it apart if they wanted to. It wasn't like a van where there's so many nooks and crannies and I don't know what's in there, yeah. you know, and the anxiety that surrounds it. But yeah, all my, um, there was, it was a, there was snow flurries. All the doors of the rental car were flapping their appendages, you know, in the breeze and the, the glove compartment was open and flapping around and had gone through the, Completely gone through the whole rental car, gone through all my stuff, but there was one thing that he wasn't completely satisfied with, and that was my laptop. So this is this is this is touring Y two K shit. Oh wow! Yeah, wasn't satisfied with my laptop, 
And my wife... Uh, there might be pictures. Exactly. My wife, Stephanie, she teaches school. And uh, there was uh, a folder on the... on the, on the He was going through my computer, and there was a folder on the desktop. It finally came down to this folder on the desktop that said something like, Steffi's box or something. <laughs> <laughs> and he had said, sir, can you... They're trained to look for certain yeah, keywords. Yeah, exactly. He said, sir, can you open that for me? So I opened it and I said, well, this is my wife and there's some pictures. So she plays keyboards and she's a great singer and there she is outside the van and, oh, here's some of her school reports. And uh, that was really the end of that. He said, well, you go ahead, sir. You go enjoy your stay in Canada. So, you know, borders hey. are interesting places. I've also been arrested. Did you enjoy your stay in Canada that time there? That particular time, I had a pretty good time. Yeah, it was really uh, a lot of isolation, a lot of driving, and kind of nice. You know, Canada's. I, I wish Canada would invade the United States. You know, I mean, I would even learn maybe learn to pick up a little French. Mm-hmm. I'd be willing to, to pick up a little Canadian. I'd pick up a little French if, Canadian. If, if, if that's what was required. But now, were you, was that the story you were going to tell, Anthony? Which one? The one you told, or were you going to go with another one? Oh, you know, there's. Well, let's hear one more. The um, the other story, the emergency room visit story, was. It was actually had to do with the resonators. Um, it was like a Philadelphia story. We were playing at the Kyber Pass, and um, you know they at, on the stage of the Kyber Pass they have this on, on the back of the the back of the stage is a little two step stairwell that leads to a door out to the street, and uh, the guitar player David Newman and I we had switched up on instruments for like the grand finale. You know we switched on on guitar and drums. And it was sort of the end of the song. It's all kind of feedback and noise. And David stood up from the drum set to come back up to the front of the stage. And he slipped into the this little two-step stairwell. And he's a big guy. He was like 250. You know, he was like a really pretty pretty big boy. He was a lineman. He was, he was definitely a line, you know, yeah. Offensive lineman sized. And he misstepped into this little stairwell, did a pirouette, and uh, fell into the door and the previous band who had loaded out their a gear, yeah, it, it was. <laughs> it was it, it, Did he, he plie on the way? The, the, the previous band had actually. Uh, it was the Mikey Wild band had forgotten or neglected to fully close the door, or purposely, perhaps. <laughs> when they were loading out their gear, it had just it had just been left open, and David basically went into the stairwell, started spinning around. His full weight crashed into the door, which was already left open. So then he kept going it was almost like a 360 degree thing where he like went in the stairwell spun hit the door the door flung open he kept spinning around and went smashing out onto the sidewalk in front of the the kyber pass and he got back up ran back up on the stage and grabbed his guitar it was a huge you know feedback finale and all seven people in the club went totally, <laughs> totally nuts. Even the doorman and the bartender. Yeah, they were, oh yeah, that's awesome, best ending ever. And um, you know, they then, were just trying to to stare clear of the lawsuit. <laughs> if we say we like the show, maybe they won't sue us. <laughs> and then you know, a few minutes after the show's over, Dave's like, "I really don't feel good. I really don't feel like oh no, it's it's bad. Like I'm, you know, he's." Something something was wrong, and basically he he was he was in extreme pain, and it was getting worse worse by the minute. And uh, so we, we took him over to the emergency room in, in Philadelphia, and then I guess we were there from basically like two to about six in the morning. And we got tired. Like my friend Tom and I, Tom Lax, we finally okay, Dave. We're only a couple miles from here. We made sure he had cab money and all that. We didn't know how long he was going to be in the hospital. And we just <laughs> leave, said, leave. "We'll see you later, Dave. Leave, leave the invalid with some cab money. <laughs> be okay. Good luck, good luck, Dave. Let good us know how this works thing. out. We're going back to Tom's to get some sleep. And um, 
So we do. And then, you know, I think the doorbell, the doorbell rang at about eight in the morning and uh, it was Dave and he's sitting there with his arm in a sling and he's all like on Vicodin and they, they basically just given him a sling and a prescription for some painkillers. And Dave was there at eight, you know, going, I want a cheese steak. I, I, uh, I want a cheese steak. Eyes on the prize. Oh, well, he knew he was in Philadelphia. <laughs> and so he knew what was going on. He said, I've read about this stuff. Huh? I know this you guys Philadelphia. left me in the hospital. I he, want a cheese steak. He needed his prescription filled and he was, you know, he needed Pre- a prescription cheese steak. Che- wait, prescription cheese steak. Wasn't that one of your songs? <laughs> Actually, we did have a song called Steak Subscription. And, and that was based on your steak subscription. With Danny. Yeah, when we got married, Allison and I, uh, the last gift we received, was a year-long steak subscription. They were, get, they were getting steaks <laughs> in the mail, but then like one day, I guess, they, they left a FedEx slip, and then the package just sat in the warehouse For over a long days. weekend. Yeah, the dry ice, the shrimp and steak combo wasn't looking uh. too prime <laughs> come Monday morning. So, so Dave and I are walking around the streets of Philly trying to find a cheesesteak place. The drugstore was still closed. It hadn't opened yet. So we, we walked around. Do cheesesteaks at the drugstore? <laughs> Oh, for the prescription, right? We, gotcha. we we finally and then we we found this this place, we, this open cheesesteak place. When we we went in and you know David ordered and they were just looking at us like, who are these guys at nine thirty in the morning? You know, kind but, of, but hold on, if if you're open to sell cheesesteaks at nine thirty in the morning, I don't think you're well, going to turn your nose up at whoever walks in the well, door. Well, oh, say, who are these guys? Well, <laughs> so we got the prescription filled and, and we went back to Tom's place. And Dave's in there, and, and Tom, you know, our our host, you know, the guy we're staying with, he comes out. He's like, "Where in the hell did you get a cheesesteak at nine thirty in the morning?" We're like, "Well, this place over near the drugstore." Because that place is a that place is a drug front. It's like a mock, you know. He was he was basically saying that this place was, oh, you know, it was it was strictly like kind of drugs and money laundering, and that the, the cheesesteaks were a complete. Front. Yeah, it was it was just a front, and he was like, "I can't believe you're eating." And Dave would, wouldn't be deterred. Dave's just like you know shoving this cheesesteak into his mouth and sitting there like in popping Valiums, you know. And we had more shows to do, and and we went you know we went to New York and we played you know that uh, later that next night at this club in the Meatpacking District, and Dave had his arm in the sling. And he, you know, and he basically was like drinking tequila shots and popping Valiums, and he, his his busted arm was was the his picking hands. He was actually able to, you know, to, to play, you know, to hold the guitar and actually, you know, he play was able all to the, play some complex chords. He was able to, he was able to, able <laughs> he to play didn't need all him the that chords. Night, but he was able to. He was able to play all the notes, and uh, and he was just sitting there. It was, it was a complete mess, you know, and 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 uh, were the seven people who saw that show loving it. <laughs> You know, but then what what happened was it, it turned out like, you know, we, we got home like, you know, like a couple weeks later and, you know, Dave was still, you know, went to the hospital. It turned out he had like torn all these, like torn these muscles and ligaments in his back. Yeah. And it was like this whole, you know, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty serious injury, you know, when all said and done. And he was, he was kind of laid up for a couple of months after we got back from tour. But, but the cheesesteak didn't come back to haunt him in any way, shape or form. I think the cheesesteak came back to haunt me. I, I heard uh, some talk uh, earlier about, uh, <laughs> you know, gaseous <laughs> emissions. You know, I, I can say this, you know, there, there's that whole article about the, uh, the astronaut who just drove, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, this just a couple of days ago where she drove 900 miles to <laughs> kill the, the romantic rival. And because of that story, they, there was this article in the New York times about you know, just the general psychological makeup of astronauts. And they, there was this, these quotes from the Soviet cosmonaut who was saying, Hey, all the conditions, both motive and opportunity you could ever hope for for a perfect murder exist in outer space. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, you know, and he just like starts outlining about how, you know, how absolutely these people really come to hate each other. Like, you know, like all that time in, in close quarters, you know, and how you really the, fucking, the tour van is you, extreme you, in space. Is there a, that space therapy? Hey, you know, you know, day day seven into a, a 10 day road trip with just like you and one other person in the Toyota Tercel, well, so, another uh, classic touring vehicle, so, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Tercel. So when when House of Blue starts colonizing outer space, that's when all the great road stories are really going to come out. It's Coldplay going to play Mars. And, you know, by the time they get there. I mean, maybe does, it, does this tie back into the, the idea of rockation? Well, I mean, is, after, I think after after you get to a certain age, I mean, how you know th- that that aspect of spending long periods of time in close quarters in a van or car, like all that with people you, you're hating increasingly uh, by the minute. Yeah, by the minute. <laughs> you, you know what I'm and saying? I mean, smellier. You really have to reduce your exposure to. I mean, it's it's like the psychological torture of of. Hey, you know, and it, it works both ways. Well, I mean, it, it builds character when you're young, drives you to murder yeah. when you're old. Exactly. Wow. Well, you know, you you got to talk to people. You know, some people, <laughs> some people, they just don't really have the ability to um, stare out the window for hours a day, and other people do. Other people are at home with it. I think that uh, you know, I, I actually lead a band, which is something that I wouldn't is which is something I really wouldn't wish uh, on my worst enemy. <laughs> and I've had problems with bass players in particular. And, uh, interesting, uh, interesting. And uh, I've had to pull out, pull them aside, and say, you know, I noticed that you, you seem kind of unhappy in the van. And, <laughs> uh, you know, you seem seem seem, seem pretty irritable. And I, I just your your seething rage. <laughs> I, I, you I, haven't I, masked your seething rage well enough. <laughs> I look, I look around, I look around here, and I see that uh, I see that uh, I see Rob over here. He's you know he's he's got a nice Elmore Leonard book and and when Paul over here he likes to drive he's got his headphones on and and uh, God knows what's going on in the back I'm afraid to look but I notice you don't have a, a magazine or a book maybe <laughs> gets car CD I read, I've got or, I've got a subscription to Highlights magazine for uh, you Goofus and Gallant that would be a good tour Goofus would do it one way so you know I suggest maybe a Rubik's cube or. <laughs> You know, maybe a, maybe a coloring book or something for you. See, so, you know, a band leader, you know, you're also an activities coordinator. Uh, it's, it's not cru- <laughs> cruise director. And psychiatrist. That's touching. I'm going to yeah. cry. I've got a little bag full of crayons and a pad of paper. I don't know. Maybe you, you... go. I hope this will entertain you for the next 13 hours. <laughs> Well, I I do remember when, Gil, when we were on tour, this frustrating moment for me, moment, hours, I don't know, with with a bass player who was great, but it it was a month-long tour, and he had one job that he left, and it seemed obvious at some point that he hadn't told anyone from work that he was going on tour for a month, and it was some kind of computer-related job where he could work from home. Right. But this was a pre-laptop era where he didn't have access to computers, and I think his solution for not asking for four weeks off was to get his wife to do his job, which was pretty clear she wasn't really capable of doing. So she would call, and in the van, he would have to walk her through like an eight-hour day on the phone. But then he would just make everyone shut up, turn the music off, because cell reception wasn't that great. And so you would hear this kind of one-sided work conversation where we all had to be really quiet and not listen to music for large periods of time, we could. Have I've been. had a similar experience with a drummer uh, last year, and he had that conversation, the one-way conversation, uh, and it was with his mother. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and and it involved it involved a computer, so it, it, it's like it's not like if something but if something's moving at a tempo to where you can't really understand it, uh, you know. I want you to get in that folder and I'm going there. You're gonna see it up, up on the file menu. Come down right. You know, then another, you know that you could deal with. But if it's something that's so excruciatingly slow yeah. and so excruciatingly rudimentary. No, the mouse. That Do you is, know what the mouse is? Well, it's nice <laughs> I, that he called his mom. Yeah. Well, um, I call my mom every day on the road. Really? Uh, yeah. So we can get that. Let her know. Get that mom son tension thing going. You know? I'm in Wyoming Stay now, alert. mom. You should see it. It's beautiful. Uh, you know, Danny. I was thinking about uh, the other day when you asked me to come here. I was thinking about really the time that we met. I was in a group back in I think might have been the 80s or the early 90s and we had uh, made a video in England uh, that cost a fair amount of money for a single that did absolutely nothing so uh, I don't know thank God for Europe fast forward a year and uh, they decided that we did another record they wanted to release the same company was going to release another single they got this idea like hey you know Nobody ever saw that other video, and it's just these guys driving around in England in a Jaguar or whatever, and we spent a lot of money <laughs> on it. In a Jaguar, uh, another maybe, good tour van. <laughs> maybe we could, um, maybe we could recycle the footage, but just play another song under it. <laughs> and so, what they wanted me to do, and this, 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 this the, I, I learned of this by actually getting down from my bar stool where I permanently sat, ranting at the world at the Albion over on Sixteenth Street. And I went to the phone booth to check my messages, and I got the gist of this thing, like, you need to come to England so we can film you. We're going to put it into this video. We need to film you playing guitar. We need to film you. We want to spend a bunch of money flying you to England for something that's going to make no money. So uh, uh, I I decided, man, I really don't want to get, I don't think I have another one of those transatlantic flights in me, you know. So I I was set back on my bar stool, and I thought, man, I could probably do that right here, right now. And I and I, I said, hey, is anybody in this bar a film student or anything? And I th- did you come forward? Were you there, or did somebody no. recommend you? So I, I know someone... somebody said I know somebody, and I called you from that phone booth and I told you what I was trying to do. <laughs> I know do. somebody who's not busy. Yeah. <laughs> of course not. We were all in our twenties. We didn't have anything to do. So I so so I called Danny and said what I needed to do, and he went and rented a camera and we filmed it right there in the bar. Really? Yeah. And no, then I've never seen video. it. We sent the video, we sent the footage to England, and then they just sort of edited it into this existing video, which, you know, which, like a lot of videos, I just kind of watched once and went, yeah. <laughs> so, Good job, so Danny. There's, so there's, <laughs> I've there's, never seen there's it. There's that. I could dig it up. I and got it somewhere. Danny never worked again. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's true. not true. <laughs> wow. But yeah, it took about 10 minutes. It might have been an hour. Yeah, well, but for it, you. It might have seemed like an hour to you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you just showed up, played 10 minutes, and I did all the work. But, you know, whatever. I'm not bitter. No. But that's a good time. So, also, we were talking about uh, earlier. I'm glad I didn't think of a story because then I just would have put everybody out with my story. But we were talking about registered <laughs> letters. And, and, uh-huh. and, you know, I had an attorney here in San Francisco, a rather large man. He would say, uh, Chuck, this is for $300 an hour, mind you. He'd say, Chuck, as your attorney, I strongly advise that you pass me those jelly donuts. Okay, let's go. So, uh, I did actually uh, get served once while I was on tour. They tracked you down on tour. Yeah. Well, what happened was is that I'd had a relationship with this guy, and and, and he had done some service for me, and he had, I'd run up a bill, and I didn't really agree with it. And uh, fast forward, uh, I, 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 he's one of those guys where it was like it took me six weeks to get him on the phone to fire him. 
You know, some people are like that. Well, like, they know. They know finally, the call's coming. Yeah, finally, after six weeks, I got him on the phone. I said, dude, this is not, not working for me. So he sent me a bill, and I really didn't agree with it. And at one point, I called him. I said, look, I could pay like half of it if we just call it quits. And he said, yeah, I could do that. That phone But call. I'm not going to. He said, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. He got back to me like six weeks later and said, yeah, I've been thinking about uh, what you said, and I think that would be fine. I said, well, <laughs> that was six weeks ago. I don't have the money now. <laughs> I don't have any money now. So one thing led to another, and I was out on tour in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, playing a daytime show. And a woman started, I was down, you know, sort of hunched over my pedal board, you know, doing my thing, sound checking. And a woman, I could see a woman out of the corner of my eye coming closer and closer, holding. Ah, they send a woman clutching, during sound check. Clutching a CD that had my face on it and she said mr profit uh. came up to the lip of the stage she said mr profit i said yeah that would be me <laughs> and she you she had him served she handed me an envelope she said you've been served and i i, I looked right and i looked left and everybody was setting up their gear and my wife and my band i just stuck that thing in my pocket fast my wife came over she goes, what was that i go nothing fan ladder it was nothing don't worry about it and um she had the CD. Yeah, I'd gotten served. And the only the thing that's interesting, I, I mean, the thing that's really particularly interesting about this is that if you're not present for your court date, then you lose. Okay, <laughs> which is it gets difficult to be present for all these things. And uh, so I lost. I lost, and I was sued. But I thought, like, you know, I'll get around to it. I maybe pay a hundred dollars a month. They can, these people, they can put liens on your accounts. So it doesn't, you know, if you want to fight the power, you need to know what you're doing. <laughs> so um, yeah, all my they were lean, put leads well, on. My I was accounts. just thinking like twenty. Eventually, I did pay it. Eventually, I paid it back, and I wrote the guy a letter, and I said, I just want to let you know, you know, now that we're even, Stephen, um, I want to let you know that I got no hard feelings. I said, you know, Tommy Stinson, my, you know, or Keith Richards, whoever might think they're the living embodiment of rock and roll. I said that's all fine and dandy, but there was a moment there where they couldn't pull up my bootstraps because getting served on stage is just about uh, the, the most badass thing I could think of. Well, I'm know? just thinking, 20 years from now, it's going to be some astro lady in a jet pack flying up next to your spacecraft, and you know, you know, Chuck, you had mentioned uh, your, you know, your bass player, you know, just kind of sitting there. No Rubik's Cube, no book, no video, no, just kind of sitting in the van, right? Checking it all out. I think I, w- I was remembering an episode with uh, in the Icky Boyfriends with, with our singer John. And this again, we were in the uh, the Jetta, the road machine. <laughs> and uh, Shay and I were, were riding in the front. At, at a certain point, John, John stopped talking to us on, on tour. Like he, in the car, he wouldn't speak a word to us and he resorted to writing notes. He, he would just this pass happens. Them. Yeah. He, he would just write <laughs> us notes on pieces of paper, right? And pass them up to the front seat. And they were getting increasingly. He was starting to write in the voice of people, of various people we had met along the way that had really, you know, somehow bothered or irritated him or just had some sort of run in with. Like he had had, John had had a, a less than satisfactory interaction with. Uh, Gene Smith, the singer of Mecca Normal, where um, you know John was like, "I just like, love that I'm having that we're having this conversation." I have never heard of any <laughs> references. Well, John, you know, Mecca anyway, Normal, she, dude. Well, no, she's you know she's a K Records Canadian. You know, it was a Canadian duo from okay. from Vancouver. Quite, quite a voice, yeah, like a very distinctive voice. And then meanwhile, Icky Boyfriends, John Swift, a very distinctive. Kind you of, know. she she would sort of be the '90s version of Joanna Newsom. <laughs> right, you kind of love it or hate it. I didn't fight in the punk wars. No, um, so you know, basically, John, John was writing us a series of notes in the voice of this woman, 
you know, as if, you know, just, and he just, you know, for days, I mean, I think it went on for like three or four days where he didn't speak a word to us and it was just nothing but notes being passed up to the front seat that Shay or I would have to read aloud to each other. And John would just sit in the back, like twirling at his Afro and, too bad you he, weren't there, Chuck, to talk him through his problem. <laughs> I mean, you could, you could hire see, yourself. God it. gave us words, <laughs> and He gave us a voice so we could talk about our feelings. God, there you go. That would have cured it. You know, so we're going to talk about our feelings today. And I you, know you, you got wing nuts and things for your drums, and you got some skins, and some. You're going to need new heads and all this stuff. But today we're going to talk about feelings. You could be a rock and roll therapist. You can't talk on about call. your feelings. Uh, you know, no so more we, notes. I think uh, a master's in social work or a degree in psychology. You know, there's you know, you, after years in the trenches, you could be awarded one of those degrees. Just uh, kind of honorary, retro- rock and honorary roll of retroactive. Here's your MSW. I work with a, a drug addicted, uh, homeless, borderline homeless, drug addicted population. It's the kind of thing the fans never see. You guys all seem in such a bad mood. Yeah. Why, well, why we, don't you want a party tonight? Well, I'm we, 42 years old and I need to go to sleep or whatever. Touring about, is a young man's game. It is. is. I would never do it again. I think it's the healthiest addiction I've ever had, quite frankly. Well, you probably did a lot of them. I th- the addictions? No, I'm sorry, no tours. <laughs> I think um, that it's the healthiest addiction that I've ever had, and uh, and, uh, and and I'm not going to stop. You know, I was going to saving t- up for a new van as we speak, <laughs> there you or go. use Jetta. You know, I was going to actually tell a sweet tour story because I was thinking, you know, with, with touring, for all sort of the crappy times, because you're touring. It's fun regardless. You know, you can have the car breakdowns and miss a show and still well, have a good time. Well, it's summer camp in bars. It's, That's, I've heard it, it referred to it's as that. The, it's the rockation. And um, I'd gotten a call once from a high school kid who had seen my films. And he really liked them. And part of his like class's senior project is you had to put on some community event. And he wanted to bring me out to his like town to oh, yeah. uh, to to show my films, but the thing was, he lived in this town called Colfax, which is a town in the Sierra foothills, about two and a half hours from San Francisco. So I immediately knew it was going to be a pretty small show, but mm. and, and that was fine to me because part of my thing at the time was I liked bringing films to places that wouldn't have you know a, a play, a, someone from a small town wouldn't have the opportunity to see these films. Uh-huh. So that's in a way was Colfax kind of, Film Festival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, so that, that kind of dovetailed with what I was trying to do. But the thing is, for whatever reason, the show had to be a Friday. And because it was a three-hour drive, I was going to have to miss work. So I knew the show was going to be costing me money, right. you know, or a vacation day. And the kid was insistent, oh, there's going to be a ton of people. I guarantee you 100 people are going to show up. Everyone from my school is going to be there. <sighs> and this is, I think, I think you know, when we were on tour, we kind of, you know, referred to this kind of person as perhaps the well-meaning nincompoop. They mean really well. They really want 100 people to be there. But, right. you know, do they have the ability to put, pull it off? And I decided, well, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't believe there's going to be 100 people there. I'm not going to hold them to it. There will probably be 20 people there. But it'll be this cool thing. I'll drive to Colfax. I'll show some films and sm- hang out in the small town. But because I sensed, again, this sort of presence of perhaps the well-meaning nincompoop, I decided that they would have to have some responsibilities. I'm like, you got to get me either an amp or a PA, and you got to get a screen. Because with no screen, there's no show. And I just figure if you give someone a job, they have this sort of invested interest mm-hmm. that they might do something to get some people down there. So I drive up there, 
And this town is, it's the one, downtown is one block long. And I think everything closed at 4.30. You know, there's the, there's the, dis, the, there's the out of use railroad track kind of going through town. And I show up at the community center and the greatest thing I'd ever seen, this guy, him and his friends were there. And on the floor, they, I figured when I told them to go get the screen, they'd go to Salvation, Salvation Army and for $5 buy a screen. They were constructing the world's hugest screen. They'd gone to the hardware store. They'd gotten two by fours. They'd gotten one by eights. And they didn't get just a sheet. They had, they had priced out and like tested all these reflective whiteboards. And they're on the community center floor with their power tools, bare feet and power tools, you know, building this amazing screen like and trying bare feet. to, that was, I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, kid, I was like that moment of, I guess high school kids, they take shop class out here. Yeah, they had the power tools doing it all, you you know, holding the boards down with their bare feet with the drills right there. And they were coming up with some elaborate scheme to hang the screen from the basketball hoop. And um, and it was like, oh, my God, that's so beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And, and the show was pretty good. I mean, there were like 50 people there, which was actually pretty impressive. Sure, it's a good gig. It's a good anywhere. gig. And it was this kind of crazy like combination of people. There were the old grannies there. There were the kind of hip high school kids there were little kids and again i think you know when you play in small towns something's happening everyone who's vaguely interested turns out and so it was a pretty good show and then after the show is the guys counting up the money and we had this thing where like we were going to do a door split and he kind of counts out the money and you know there are 50 people had paid three bucks so there was 150 dollars and he kind of sheepishly looks at me and he's like you know I know I told you there was going to be a hundred people here. And if there were a hundred people here, your take would have been 150, but that's all we have. So I'm going to give you all the money. Oh, and I was like, so I took it. No, I, <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to teach you an important lesson. Kid. I got take kids. this and take this hey, money punk. from you. <laughs> and punk, I, got, I got kids to feed. And it was the sweetest thing. He's like, here, take all the money. And I'm like, that's cool. Uh, I'll, we'll split it. That was the deal. And again, you know, like I didn't care. I, I mean, 50 people, I was shocked that I made $75. And they're all kind of standing there and they're like, thanks a lot. This was really great. And I'm like, hey, you guys want to go get some food or something? Like I could tell they wanted to hang out. Uh-huh. You know, it was 930. I got a three hour ride in front of me. But I'm like, you know, they, they built the screen. They offered up all the money. They're like, oh, that would be great. And I'm like, is there some place to eat in this town? Yeah, there's a diner up the road. And so we drive in our separate cars up to the diner and it's closed. No lights in the parking lot. And we're just kind of standing there. I'm like, is there any other place to eat in this town? No. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, see you guys later. It's been fun. And kind of drove away and they're all kind of just forlornly standing in the parking lot. And yeah, and, and the, the funny thing about it is I haven't been back to Colfax since until a couple of weeks ago, driving up to Tahoe, we stopped to pee in Colfax. And of course, <laughs> now there's like a huge mall over there. The diner is now a Starbucks. Wow. And uh, Danny, I'm being handed a cease and desist letter from the Colfax Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> I'm telling you, Colfax, it's grown up, baby. They support the arts, cease and desist. Come on. That was a beautiful story. Well, very good. Uh, any last any last little kernels? I don't know. Maybe I, w- I was thinking of this one time, another icky boyfriend story, where I had the horrible flu, you know, 103 fever, 
vomiting. That's a theme. That's a topic there. Mm-hmm. Just chills. Sickness. You know, it, you know, yeah. it, it happens. I, I'm still, know, I'll tell you right now, because I just had a conversation. I'm not going to interrupt you, but... No, go ahead. I, I, I was in a band with a guy in the mid-80s. We're still pretty close, as much as we can be. It's like a brotherly thing. I mean, mutual disrespect kind of a thing. But, <laughs> but there's love in there, the you know? The glue that binds. <laughs> in 1985, in 1985 we were touring back in the days when there were there was no fax machines. There were no cell phones, obviously. The internet. We didn't have any of that. Well, basically, what you did was you stopped, and the road manager would get out of the van and go to a phone booth and then write things down yep. in a book. You yeah. know, and it would be like he'd get back in the van. Oh, he just added two weeks with the dates in Italy. And, okay, so uh, I got really sick on that tour, and it was the winter in Germany, and I got I got strep throat. You know, which started out maybe as a cold or something. Eventually, I did get antibiotics. Later, later that tour, I remember uh, the singer referred to me as a hypochondriac. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had strep throat. And I got to say, like, in terms of... Tough you know, it up, kid. I, I got to say, in terms of resentments and stuff, I'm still hanging on to that one. <laughs> so apparently time doesn't heal everything. No. I, I was laying there you know, on, on the couch. We were in a, you know, we were a place out in Eugene, Eugene, Oregon, at our friend's brother's house. It's actually Mia from Frightwig's brother's house. Wow, uh, David, uh, and great uh, band, Frightwig. Whatever happened to them? Uh, they're, 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 they I broke think, up. Wasn't uh, <laughs> I, th- I think they're all. I think some. I think all of them still play. Uh, still play music. Well, like, who was there? We got the Bambi, Mia. Um, Rachel, I don't know. Anyway, you know. Anyway, we're <laughs> <laughs> look it up online. Are you gonna? Do you want to tell the story, Chuck? No, I just want to see how many members of Frightwood we can. <laughs> Wasn't Courtney Love in that band for ten minutes? So we're at, we're at Mia's brother's David's house, and I'm laying there like on the couch. Oh, everybody got that Mia's and, brother's and, David. And, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> in in a blanket, just wrapped up, like 103 fever, vomiting the whole bit, and I'm laying there on the couch. And uh, you know we we have a show to play when it, probably in about three or four hours time and it's still questionable if you know if I'm going to be able to play drums or not I'm just laying there and oh and you'll play the question is will you play good or not John and and John and Shay are playing at the foosball David had a foosball table in his house and so I'm like laying on the couch and kind of in and out of sleep in and out of fever and they're you know they're they're doing the oh, foos no. they're doing the, yeah, exactly if you can make that sound. And then John was punctuating all of all of those with exclamations uh, of female genitalia. Okay, okay here we go. Oh, <laughs> good, good Dan. Okay. Make, make, <laughs> Hold on. All right. <laughs> Clitoris. Vulva. Nipple. That's it. You're out. And and I was just I was I, and I was I was laughing and vo- I, mean, I was I was vomiting I, at one point I was laughing so hard and I just leaned over in the couch and I just vomited on the floor next to the couch. Uh, oh, that's a classy house guest. <laughs> <laughs> he was a guy. The guy was a brother of one of the members of Frightwig. <laughs> I felt he's, bad about. He'd it. seen it all. I felt, I felt bad about. Put it. a newspaper over it. <laughs> Sawdust. <laughs> that was really just what that was. That was one of the. I don't know. That, that's such a. I love that moment. Well, I like the notion of ending the tour uh, stories show on sawdust on a pile of vomit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all, Tony B. Gilray, Chuck Prophet. 
you've been listening to the Nesta Vipers podcast. For more information on the show and to leave feedback, check out our website, www.nestaviperspodcast.typepad.com. Also, you can check out movie clips of the music, movies, and other cultural references we make at our YouTube channel, www.youtube.com backslash Nesta Vipers podcast. Nesta Vipers is distributed by KQED Independence.